Lord in heaven, we just want to stop and begin our morning by thanking you for uh, another gift of giving us, uh, for waking us up this morning and giving us breath and life and a chance just to meet together as friends who love you, who want to understand your word. And I thank you, Lord, for um, just the encouragement, the fellowship, uh, the richness of your word. And I thank you, Lord, for um, a place like this where we can come and meet uh, together. And thank you for your grace and for the hope that is ours through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, we're traveling our way through the book of Job and we're winding that up. Um, next week will be our last summit, in fact. And, uh, and Job has been a, it's been a long read, but it's been a great read. And it's been a lot of fun just to um, spend some considerable amount of time just taking this, this book uh, piece by piece, chapter by chapter, and really considering um, God's sovereignty over the universe and um, how that relates to human suffering, which is something we've all been asked about and something we've all had our own questions to talk about. And just to remind you kind of where we've been, Job's broken up into three parts. I know we have a long outline in the front of your book, but I just think of it in three parts. It starts with um, Job's dilemma, right, where you see uh, Job's whole world come unraveled. The wheels completely fall off in chapters 1 and 2. And then you have uh, four friends who show up. And um, they all try to explain to Job through a series of debates um, why he is suffering the way he is. So you go from Job's dilemma to Job's debates. You have those three friends, uh, Eliphaz, um, Bildad, and Zophar. And then last week we, t- we discussed Elihu, how he's different and how he comes on the scene and how he tries to offer another perspective um, as to why Job must be suffering. And there's these debates, and all along, Job is wanting one thing. He's wanting one thing. We've asked this several times in, in our uh, study guide, and I'm sure you talked about it in your book. But what does Job long for? He longs for his day in court. He wants an opportunity to stand before the Lord and go, hey, Give an account for why I'm going through this when I am innocent. I am not unjust. I'm not unfaithful. I'm not unrighteous like my friends have accused me of being. Explain to me why I am suffering like this. He wants his day in court. Well, finally, in Job chapter 38, the Lord breaks his silence, right? And, uh, and he now we begin the latter part of the book, which I describe as Job's deliverance. Now, it's not going to feel like much of a deliverance in chapters 38 and 39. We definitely uh, are perhaps surprised by the Lord's response. Here it is that this man has suffered for so long, and then he's had to endure the ridicule of his friends and the judgment of his friends, and God finally speaks. And if you're anything like me, I'm like, thank you, Lord. We finally hear from you. But... I'm a little surprised by what he shares. Stop for a second and just consider how uh, he interrupts this conversation in chapter 38, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, out of the storm. Here comes God. And he says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Wow. (laughs) I mean, here's this man suffering, 
Here's this man looking for answers, and here comes God in a storm, and he says in uh, great Hebrew terms there, hey, young man, suck it up if you think you're so tough, because I'm about to ask you questions, right? Not quite the response he thought he was looking for. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Wow. And so in chapters 38 and 39, as, as you've already read, there's a series of questions. And I've broken them up into two parts. The first series of questions centers around God's sovereignty over creation itself. And then the second series of questions centers around God's sovereignty over the creatures. All right, so he's going to talk generally about the earth and, um, and light and the seas and stars. And then he's going to talk about the creatures, animals. And in chapter between, I thought this was interesting, between chapters 38 and 41, he asks a total of 77 rhetorical questions. He's not giving a lot of answers. He's asking the questions now. Job was the one wanting answers. Job was the one asking questions. And now it's the Lord coming to Job, and he has 77 rhetorical questions. Questions that aren't, that Job cannot answer. And um, it's kind of a surprising response. As I said, the first series of questions centers around God's sovereignty over creation. He talks about the earth. He talks about the seas. Light, snow, rain, the stars. You know, and as I was thinking about this and, and just what the Lord's trying to communicate here, I stopped and did a little research and, um, and I, I tried to consider each one of these. And um, I'll read you some fun little facts as you stop and consider just the earth or our universe or um, some of these animals that the Lord mentions. Uh, for instance, did you know that the uh, observable matter of our universe is spread over a space at least 93 billion light years across? You stop and consider that. I mean, I, when I read that, I kind of go, okay, I want to go ask somebody else who really knows a lot about you know, space and just verify that. I mean, are you serious? The observable uniform, universe is as big as 90 Three billion light years across. Really? That is so massive, I can't get my arms around that. And here's the Lord sitting there saying to Job, Hey, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Stop and consider how big that is. Stop and consider who it is that you're questioning, who you want to put on trial. He talks about, the, uh, he talks about stars and planets. Jupiter, for instance, is two and a half times more massive. Listen to this. Jupiter is two and a half times more massive than all the other planets in our solar system combined. Think how big Jupiter is. The Lord's saying, think about who you're questioning real quickly. I'm the creator of heaven and earth. And just slow down before you come in asking me questions. Stop and consider the universe. 
stop and consider creation. Did you know that approximately 72% of the Earth's surface is covered by ocean waters? 72%. And more than half of this area is over 3,000 meters or 9,800 feet deep. Just consider the size. Consider the depths of the ocean. And that's what the Lord's communicating. He goes, he goes, Job, if you want a day in court with me, if you want to put me on trial, you want to put me on the stand, I want you to know who you're talking to. I'm the one who created the earth, the seas, the light, the snow, the rain, and the stars. And you can't explain any of these things. And then he turns his attention to God's sovereignty over the creatures. And it's here he mentions the lions, ravens, goats, wild donkeys, wild oxen, the ostrich, the horse, the hawk. And he just goes animal by animal, listing these. And I thought, all right, so what do I not know about the ostrich other than I like ostrich boots, right? And uh, I just found it as interesting. Um, you know, you may not know this. But uh, with their acute eyesight and hearing, ostriches can sense predators such as lions from far away. When being pursued by a predator, they have been known to reach speeds in excess of 70 uh, kilometers or 45 miles per hour and can maintain a steady speed of 50 kilometers or 30 miles per hour, which makes the ostrich the world's fastest two-legged animal. And here's an animal with wings that cannot fly. All right, but can run 30 miles per hour. The world record, since the Lord mentions a horse, the world record for a horse galloping over a short sprint distance is 55 miles per hour. 55 miles per hour. That's, just, that's pretty fast for a four-legged animal. And the Lord's sitting there and he's going, hey, Job, let's just stop. Let's consider who it is you're speaking to. I'm the one who made the ostrich. I'm the one who made the horse. He didn't even mention the human body, right? I stopped and uh, just did a little research on that. How many cells do you think are in the uh, human body, a full-grown man's body? How many cells? Any doctors out there? Ten trillion cells in the human body alone according to the research I found. What about the human eye? Do you know the human eye has a 200-degree viewing angle and can see 10 million colors? 10 million colors. And I think the Lord, he's asking 77 rhetorical questions, and what he's doing is he is overwhelming Job. He's overwhelming Job about who he is and his sovereignty, and reminding Job of his limitations. So what's the Lord getting at? What is he communicating? Well, I like the way Philip Yancey said it in his book, Disappointment with God, which I sure hope you guys took advantage of over these past couple of weeks and have read. It's a great little read. And are discussing it in your group. But... What Yancey says in commenting on these two chapters, chapters 38 and 39, what's the Lord communicating? The point is this. If you cannot comprehend the visible world you live in, Job, how dare you expect to comprehend a world you cannot even see? How dare you to, to comment 
in a world you can't even see. Job, there's a perspective I have which you can't understand. And I know you want to put me on trial. I know that you think I owe you an answer. But I want to remind you who you are, and I want to remind you who I am. And I'm going to name you the observable world. Great mysteries that you can't even fathom. And if you could sit there and look and study and see those mysteries, what makes you think you're going to be able to understand my plan? What makes, that you're, makes you think you're going to be able to understand my sovereign will and my ways? And that's the Lord's point, I think, in chapters 38 and 39. Is look at the world around you, Job, and be reminded that I have a perspective which you cannot possibly share. So here are two questions I'd love for you to consider as you, we break up into our groups. The first question is this. How does the Lord's response relate to the problem of human suffering? When you read these two chapters and you know that Job is looking for an answer to the problem of suffering, why does the Lord come at that question in this way? How does the Lord's response relate to the problem of human suffering? And then secondly, to what degree are you satisfied with the Lord's response? When you read this, do you kind of go, man, it's not quite what I was looking for. I wish you would have said this. Or do you read it and go, you know what? I need to repent in dust and ashes like Job. Because... I speak of matters which I cannot possibly understand. So to what degree are you satisfied or dissatisfied with the Lord's response? And to discuss that in your group. All right. Guys, next week is our last summit. Uh, I encourage you to come. Be on time. Uh, let's finish strong. And then I want to uh, remind you of what you heard about us speak on a couple times uh, on Sundays, and that is to make a note of uh, our leadership uh, luncheon we're going to have on May the 8th. And, um, and we're going to have a panel uh, of different Watermark members uh, who are going to discuss how uh, we should respond in times of economic crisis and what the biblical response is um, in, in the times that we're facing right now. So I would encourage you to make a note of that, bring some friends, and, uh, and come and join us for that lunch. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll let you go. Well, Father, we, uh, we marvel at your creation. Um, we're reminded this morning, Father, that uh, it is just amazing, in fact, that you even allow us to commune with you, to speak with you. Uh, Father, we, we take note of your sovereignty uh, over all of creation and the creatures that fill this earth. Father, we thank you for uh, how your creation is just uh, a fingerprint of yours that reminds us of uh, your providential hand at work in our lives. And um, Father, I, I pray that you'd forgive us when we're so boastful and so prideful so as to demand a response from you. And I just pray, Lord, that we be reminded uh, today of who you are, and who we are in light of your sovereignty. And I pray, Lord, we'd be humble to think that um, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to become man um, and to bear our sins and to pay our penalty on that cross. 
And so we thank you, Lord, that the creator of the universe would stoop so low um, to make a provision that we could have a right relationship with you. And so, Father, we stamp the cross and we stamp the resurrection over all of our suffering and over all of our pain. And we just acknowledge the hope that is ours that comes through knowing Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.